0: might like to keep 1 Samuel 13 open in front of you. We're in the middle of a series on 1 Samuel, looking for a leader. You might remember that the Israelites had asked for a king, specifically a king like the other nations. And in response to this request, Saul was appointed. Here in chapter 13, we're into the reign of King Saul. The chapter begins in a pretty good way. Jonathan, Paul's son, with a thousand men, defeated a garrison of the Philistines in Gibeah. And there was much celebration about that. We read that Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land. That's a bit like saying that it was shouted out everywhere, and it being on all the news channels and all over the internet. But of course, not just the Israelites heard about it, but the Philistines as well. And it says in our passage, that Israel became odious or repulsive to the Philistines and that they mustered a huge army and lots of resources to fight against Israel. The pressure's now mounting on Israel. Saul called out the people to join him at Gilgal in response to the pressure mounting, Gilgal being a place of significance within the history of Israel and their relationship with God. And then he waited. He waited for Samuel the prophet to arrive in Gilgal, which we later discover is what he's been told to do. And as he waited, the people began slipping away. Imagine the situation. The pressure's on with a military crisis. Saul goes to the place he's been told and waits for the prophet as he's been told the people begin slipping away as the waiting continues. You can imagine that Saul was pretty nervous and stressed, can't you? Samuel hasn't come, and so Saul decides to take matters into his own hands and offered the offerings that he was waiting for Samuel to do himself. He gets halfway, and Samuel shows up, caught red-handed. And Samuel asks him what he's done, to which he replies, When I saw that the people were slipping away from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines were mustering at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down upon me at Gilgal and I've not entreated the favour of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. The people have left. He didn't show up. The pressure was mounting and I needed to get the favour of the Lord. So I acted. We may well have some sympathy for, Paul, for Saul here. He was in a hard spot. But what's Samuel's reply? You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. The Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and the Lord has appointed him to be ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. That might seem to us like an extreme response. As I said, it seems clear that Saul had been told to go down to Gilgal and to wait seven days until Samuel came. There's a verse that says that specifically back in chapter 10 and it might be referring to that or a more general command or another specific command. Either way, we know that Saul has been told by God what he was to do. And he didn't do it. He went to Gilgal and he waited. But when the pressure got too strong, And it didn't seem like God, through Samuel, would come through. He took matters into his own hands. Samuel tells him that he's done foolishly. We often use that word quite lightly. We might say, you foolish child, when a child's gone out into the rain without a raincoat. But it's much weightier here. As our psalm today says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Samuel's saying, You've acted as if God doesn't exist or doesn't matter. You've explicitly disobeyed what God has commanded. And as a result, your kingdom will not continue, and the Lord will appoint another man, one who is after his heart and of his choosing, to be ruler over his people. It's heavy. After saying this, Samuel left Gilgal and the rest of the people followed Saul towards Gibeah. What an account. wonder where you see yourself in this story. Sadly, I certainly see myself as like Saul in so many ways. Listen to James Duff's sermon um, from a couple of weeks ago during the week. And he spoke about what we do when storms come in our life. Saul's in one significant storm in this passage. He's hard pressed on every side. The pressure's really on. And in that, he's being obedient. He's doing what he was told, going up to Gilgal and waiting for seven days But but then it seems like Samuel's not coming and he frets and takes matters into his own hands. What we see here is obedience to a point. Obedience to the point that it doesn't seem like God's going to come through and then choosing to act as he saw fit, going directly against what he had been told to do. What do we do when the storms of life come? Sometimes, like Saul, we're initially obedient. But as the storms and the pressure intensifies, do we continue to trust that God will come through? And do we continue to walk in obedience to the things that we know are his ways? As the issues pile upon us, as the waves come in faster and fiercer ways, We're tempted to doubt God's goodness, his capability, his faithfulness and his love. And we, like Saul, so often respond by abandoning our trust in God and by taking matters into our own hands. We, like Saul, are so often foolish, acting as if God and his word doesn't matter or doesn't exist might be um, more explicit rejection of God and his ways. might be that after seeking to live in God's ways with regard to relationships, we decide that God's not coming through and so we will choose to live in ways contrary to what we know he says. Or it might be that we feel that God's not getting us where we want to get in some aspect of our life and so we seek to get there through some deceptive or dishonest means but it might also be a bit more wrapped up with a religious facade, as we see with Saul, and is often in the zone of my temptations. I have a history of going with the supposedly religious things and in that fooling myself about whether I'm trusting God. Might be prayerful discernment, Bible reading, praying, pressing on with ministry, but I can be using these things to try and make myself seem like I'm trusting God, but really in my heart I'm striving and controlling or even aiming to manipulate God into making him do whatever it is that it feels like he's not coming through on. God's not fooled by any of it though. With a religious facade, I can be taking matters into my own hands and not trusting God. There's so many good things about having strongly committed my life to Jesus as a teenager. I'm so thankful for the growth of those years. But one of the things that's definitely true for me, and was definitely true for some of those around me, is that you mix strong and zealous commitment to Jesus and the teenage years, and at least for me, one of the key outcomes was a self-righteousness that had an appearance of godliness, but in fact was often very much about me doing it myself. The classic mixing of religiosity and striving and lack of trust like we see in Saul. Had many good people around me as a teenager, most of them really significant in kingdom terms, but not highly known outside their immediate sphere. Christine Kane is one of the exceptions to this. She's widely known now as a Hillsong speaker and a aid worker. She probably has a video on Right Now Media, but I haven't looked. Um, we got to know each other when she was a youth worker in her mid-twenties and I was in year 11 and we were on a World Vision 40-hour feminine promotional tour on public transport around Sydney. She called me out on my religiosity and Self-righteousness in ways that I'm grateful for a couple of decades later, though it still continues to be a tendency. And ridiculously regularly, God continues to use her to speak into my life through her daily emails. Here's the one from the other day when I was pretty much at this point in preparing this sermon. When you see nothing. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for. An assurance about what we do not see: Hebrews 11 verse one. What do you do when you have a word from God, but see nothing? What do you do when you're still waiting on your miracle? When you go to interviews without success, when you're believing for a spouse but still aren't even dating someone? when you're praying for a child but struggle to get pregnant? when you're praying for healing, but the diagnosis is getting worse. It's in these moments that our faith is tested the most. And I want you to know that if you've struggled with fear or doubts, it's okay. God can handle it. But I want to encourage you today to go to him again. Even if you see nothing, believe God is moving. Believe he is working because he is. So when you see nothing, do you have faith that God is working, that he's trustworthy? Or do you, like Saul, step outside God's commands and word and God's ways? Do you have faith, trusting that God's at work, trusting that he's in control? When you're challenged on your actions, how do you respond? Saul's response is so, so human, isn't it? Essentially, it's, I had no choice. I was so hard pressed. People were leaving, the Philistines were coming and you hadn't come. I had no choice but to do what I did. Sounds so like us. I was hard pressed, so I had no choice but to disobey. No choice but to take matters into my own hands. No choice but to go against what I know should be right. Sometimes we put it that blatantly, but often it's a bit more subtle while essentially saying the same thing. And it goes further than that. It goes to blame in ways that are reminiscent of Adam in the garden when he was asked what he had done, blaming someone else for what had happened. Saul blames the Israelites for leaving, blames the Philistines for encroaching, blames Samuel for not coming, and essentially blames God for not coming through. Oh, how like Saul we are. I find anything and everything to blame rather than to take responsibility for my actions, for my disobedience, for my control. So like Saul, not only do we disobey and not follow the Lord's commands, especially when the storms and the pressures come, And when we feel like we've been waiting forever, we also then justify that disobedience and blame God and others for it. So what then happens for Saul? There are massive consequences for his disobedience. His kingdom won't continue. Right now he continues on as king, but he's told here that his line will be no more. And Samuel leaves him and goes in another direction. That is, the guidance of God has left him. Massive consequences. And us? Without God's intervention, there are massive consequences for us too. The book of Romans says that the wages of sin is death. The penalty for our foolish ways of acting as if God doesn't exist and against his commands is death. But thanks be to God that he hasn't left us in that place. Even in the passage in 1 Samuel, we see a glimmer of hope, not for Saul, but for the people of God. Samuel says, The Lord has sought a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him to be ruler over his people. There's one who is a man after God's own heart, one of God's choosing who will come. Later in 1 Samuel, we read of David, and from his line will come the one who is the true king. Though we are like Saul, foolish in so many ways, there is the true king, King Jesus, who comes to rescue us if we put our trust in him. We have a king who is not like the kings of the other nations. We have a king who not only rescues us from our enemies, but also ourselves. We have a king who takes on our sin and liberates us from slavery to our own sinful desires. We have a king who obeys God in all circumstances, even when put under the pressure of unfavourable circumstances. We have a king who gives his life for ours. We have a king who we can trust in when we have pressure on every side.